All right, guys, welcome back to the third part of pediatrics. We're here with Heather. Heather, say hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and Heather, remind <laughs> everybody, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a penicillin. This is a nice mixture of scotch whiskey, lemon, ginger, and honey. And Heather, you're on the East Coast, right? Yes, I am. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, very specific. People are going to find you now. <laughs> just awkward, awkward laugh. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just like, <laughs> awkward laugh, like, okay, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Should I start running now or like? <laughs> There's not a lot of people in Boston, right? Like, it's a pretty small town. All right, Bobby, I'm going to kick it off. I have a question for you. Are you ready? I don't know that it's your turn to do that, but sure, hit me. So, what are the benefits of breastfeeding? Well, everybody knows, as the uh, breastfeeding, like, propaganda of the 90s said breast is best but it's good because it promotes bonding due to oxytocin release it is good for the mother because it has weight loss benefits and it is good for the baby in terms of brain development and weight gain well done and heather anything for you to add since th this list could be i'm sure much longer yeah um no that's wonderful i think also you have lower rates of SIDS. i don't know if you said that um, and lower rates of infant mortality in general. But uh, we always say in peds that the best baby is a fed baby. So even if a mom's not able to breastfeed, just important that the baby's getting food in general. Mm, very important. That was the right answer, Bobby. So you have to drink. Um. <laughs> Seems like you're uh, maybe being a little bit vindictive against me, but I will drink no one regardless. Even, no one even asks you a question. I still, yeah. I still <laughs> yell at you. Like, they got it right. You got to drink, Bobby. <laughs> All right, sure. Bobby didn't say anything. Um, so that's right. Benefits of breastfeeding. So for the kiddo, like you guys said, improve immunity, decreased chance of actually childhood cancers, diabetes, and necrotizing enterocolitis. Also, lower chance of infections, such as otitis media, GI infections, respiratory illness, and UTI. And then for the mother, Bobby said improved bonding, um, weight loss. The one really important thing uh, that we I don't think anyone touched on was reduced breast and ovarian cancer risk, which is important for the mothers to know. Are there any contraindications to breastfeeding? Heather? Um, oh, I'm trying to remember. So in general, no. Usually you can find a way um, around it. Like, for example, like HIV, you can actually still, um, a mom that's positive for HIV can still breastfeed as long as the baby and mom kind of get like appropriate medication. Um, and I do know that I think some hospitals kind of treat this differently depending. I think that one of the contraindications is um, active like HSV lesions on the breast. Yes, that's exactly right. So active lesions, maybe sometimes abuse of drugs. Um, and then certain medications, but for the most part, Heather is exactly right. Uh, most of the time, you can find a way to breastfeed. Um, acute uncontrolled HIV was another reason I had for contraindications, but I think nowadays that would probably be something that you don't see too often, at least hopefully in the U.S. I have a question. What about active Hep B? I think you can still breastfeed. Yeah, I think you can too. Jamie? <laughs> I, I <hear> some <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, uh, Jamie says, yes, all infants born to HPV infected mothers should receive the immunoglobulin and vaccine. Okay, Google. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, here's a meta-analysis from somebody. Breast milk is infectious, yet breastfeeding, even by mothers of high infectivity, is not associated with dem- demonstrable risk of infantile uh, HPV infection, provided that infants have been vaccinated against HPV at birth. Interesting. There's kind of, I think, one obvious reason why you wouldn't uh, breastfeed, and that's something to do with the BB. I think we talked about it earlier. Cliff palate. We did not talk about cleft palate. We did not. Classic galactosemia <laughs> might trying, be yeah. a reason. She's trying yeah. to. <laughs> she's trying to get us off. Uh, yeah, it was galactosemia. <laughs> well done, Bobby. I think you need a drink for that. Um, I'll drink. I I don't think I do, but I will, <laughs> just to humor you. Uh oh, we're hitting that point where I can't really taste the alcohol anymore. So. Oh, no. Not a good sign. You know how it be. Okay. Bo. A kid comes in, and they have bloody diarrhea and febrile seizures. What infectious agent is causing this? Does a kid have sickle cell disease? No. Hmm. They do not. I'm going to go Shigella. Wow. Okay. Pretty good. Yeah, you're right. Tell me more. That's really all it was. <laughs> what uh, <laughs> other bloody diarrheal illness with the Shiga-like toxin? But why the febrile seizure? Because Shigella does that. But is Shigella like going into the CSF? No, but it Bobby, tell me more than what's just on the Anki card. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> I'm not looking at the Anki card. This is straight from the dome. Shigella releases Shiga toxin for our sketchy listeners at home. It's the gorilla juggling the plates, and it causes a bloody diarrhea. It also causes high fevers, which can lead to a febrile seizure. Do yes. you a choice? Antibiotics. Azithromycin or ciprofloxacin? Yeah, fluoroquinolones, I, I remember, for Shigella. So you're, you're yeah. exactly right. There's actually quite a few studies showing that acute Shigella enteritis has a high prevalence of central nervous system signs and symptoms, including febrile convulsions, in about 12%. 30% of children six years or under. Interesting. Heather, did you know that? I didn't know that. So is the seizure from the fever, or is it from the Shigella toxin itself? Hmm. That seems like a good research question. <laughs> outside the scope of this podcast, but I do not have an yeah, answer for you. I don't know yet. Okay. For okay. at least when I was on my pediatrics rotation... When I was on the, I did infectious disease for a couple of weeks. Um, for whatever reason, the attending asked me specifically about seizure and bloody diarrhea, and Shigella was the answer. So, I think regardless of the fever, like Shigella is known for febrile seizure. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good to know. It may just be that Shigella causes higher fevers um, than usual in kids. Super interesting. Good question. As a follow-up question for Bo, <laughs> what other cause of bloody diarrhea with a Shiga-like toxin? Well, I guess the first question would be, what antibiotics would you give? 
for somebody with Shigella infection. Like azithromycin or fluoroquinolone. Very good. It's almost like you typed that into Google. No, Bobby, you literally just said it like 30 seconds ago. (laughs) That's also fair. I'm five or six shots deep at this point. So as a follow-up, what other cause of bloody diarrhea with the Shiga-like toxin do you not give antibiotics for? So E. coli 0157 colon H7 also has a Shiga-like toxin. Oh, very good. Yeah, and we've discussed this before. I think it was in the Hemonk lecture, actually Hemonk two, uh, where mm-hmm. we discussed this, and I was I was very impressed with you remembering that uh, the O one five seven H seven like from the top of your memory. But uh, yeah, and we also discussed during that during that episode, great episode about how we do not give antibiotics for that because it can actually lead to release of more toxins. I have no further questions. Very good. I have a six month old brought into the ED with a broken arm. The mechanism of injury is secondary to the brother, who's about one year older, jumping off of the couch onto his arm. You get an x-ray, significant for a fracture of the humerus, that kind of runs longitudinally, kind of like proximal humerus down to like the mid-shaft. What is the underlying cause of this fracture? Well, though, that doesn't sound great. Um, It sounds like it might be suspect for non-accidental trauma. Tell me more. Um, so how old is your patient again? Sorry. He's six months old and his brother's a year older. Yeah. So a year old, my niece, we just had a birthday party for her today. She'll be a year wow. old. Um, and she certainly cannot jump off a couch. Um, she's just getting her legs under her to walk around. So I think that the story, the mechanism of injury doesn't quite make sense with the injury you're describing. Um, and that is what raises my concern for non-accidental trauma. Yep, exactly. And that, I don't think you, I don't know if you mentioned this, but the x-ray also is, is interesting in that it's like a longitudinal pattern across the humerus rather than a simple break. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really important. So I think um, something like a spiral, spiral fracture is something where the parents twist the arm and, and ultimately like create this spiral fracture, uh, most commonly in the humerus or, or upper extremities. And so... Those were a couple hints. Like the the older older sibling is not old enough to do what the parents say they did, and the actual fracture is not consistent with the fracture that you would expect with the event that they claimed. And so, a couple things, other signs of abuse, just they weren't in this stem, but just to always consider are well demarcated burns. Uh, those illustrate hot water immersion, cigarette burns, uh, injuries separated by space and time, so bruising that it, are at different levels of healing. And then always with shaken baby, you always want to look in their eyes, retinal hemorrhages, and always consider getting a scan of their head with subdural hematomas. Anything I might have missed, Heather? Um, no, that's great. I don't know if you said uh, posterior rib fractures. Um, those are always concerning too. Sometimes right. um, the babies will uh, be kind of held like very tightly, um, like squeezed, and, and that can cause their ribs to fracture. Yeah, very sad, but something you definitely don't want to miss both in the wards and on the boards. Yeah. But mainly on the boards. What do you think you are, Dusty? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I allegedly got a question on my exam that I think is a common one in uh, the PEDS questions. They like to have a lot of pictures, I've noticed, um, and a lot of skin findings, which I know we haven't gotten into too much. But there's one skin finding that they'll always kind of put on there as a mix-up for non-accidental trauma. And Bo, I'm sure you can tell us what that is. The genetic condition? Yes. Or, yeah, the babies are born with it. 
Yeah, the osteogenesis imperfecta. Oh, yeah. Okay, I was thinking of like a skin finding, but yes, also that. Oh, wait. So sorry, say it again. Like, um, so a skin finding that can also mm. often be confused with non-axonal trauma. Maybe I'm being too vague. It like looks no, no, like no. bruises. <laughs> really putting them on the spot. <laughs> putting me on the spot. That was not a hint for oh, you. Oh, really? Don't look into that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I was like, Mongolian spot? Um, no, that is it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was double reverse. Gotcha. Yeah, we see a lot of those, and um, they're often like in the lumbosacral region, and they can look um, like very concerning for bruises to people that haven't seen them before. So just something to think about. Is there like an alternative name for them? Because one of my attendings made fun of me for calling it a Mongolian <laughs> spot. Yeah, they're now called congenital dermal um, melanocytosis. Ah, yeah. Okay. That's what it was. All right. I have awesome. a rapid fire sequence for Bobby. Are you ready? Seems a bit targeted, but okay. Let's go. <laughs> it is targeted. We're going to talk about brain tumors, actually. All right. And so, if Heather, if Bobby doesn't get any of these correct, if you, I'll immediately turn it to you to see if, if you know them. So, Perfect. what is the most common <laughs> brain tumor in a pediatric patient? Pendomoma. Heather. Glioblastoma. Bobby. <laughs> pediatric astrocytoma. It is an astrocytoma. Which, to be nice. fair, I think is in the same family as a glioblastoma because it is. glioblastoma is also made out of astrocytes. But astrocytomas, mm -hmm. the, key, the key thing to remember is most are actually due to local pressure. They often don't undergo malignant transformation. So the symptoms that you get are going to be pretty um, generalized, nausea, vomiting. Uh, but there's no like clear pattern of symptoms that you say, oh, that's for sure an astrocytoma. So, so you think more about mass effect symptoms? Yes, exactly. The second question I have is you have, let's say a six-year-old come in and they have some trouble seeing and they have really low energy and you scan their head and you see something. Where is that lesion? So a six-year-old with trouble seeing and low energy. Let's say, and the trouble seeing is like the peripherals. I am worried about... I have no idea. A uh, craniopharyngioma. Well done. Yes. Craniopharyngioma, cellotersica, visual defects, peripheral, hormonal deficiencies, perhaps low energy because of the compression of both the pituitary stalk and the optic chiasm. Well done. Of course. All right. Heather, I'll uh, send this rapid one to you so that you don't get too bored. <laughs> All right. Shoot. Still, still talking about brain tumors. Kiddo comes in. Signs of hydrocephalus. Medulloblastoma. I don't think you're wrong, but it's not the one I'm thinking about. Bobby. May I? Uh, that would be concerning for a appendomoma due to a, a fourth ventricle obstruction. Right. Mm -hmm. So, fourth ventricle. Yeah, it's classically fourth ventricle increased intracranial pressure. Um, these ependymal cells uh, line the ventricles and the spinal cord, and issues with these can lead to Obstructive hydrocephalus <laughs> picture. I would just like to add that that is actually a mixed picture where the uh, 
cells themselves produce increased CSF. So it's not just an obstructed picture, but also an increased production picture. But please continue. <laughs> All right. I don't know how to fact that check that. That's There's no true. way to fact check that. Like I, I know it because I'm doing neurosurgery research. Like, come on, bro. Does the okay. medulloblastoma not cause hydrocephalus? Am I remembering? Oh, the I'm wrong sure thing? it can. I'm sure it can. Oh, oh just, okay. I, I just, just going can't remember. Classic, okay, like, okay. You see gotcha. this? Think about this. Medulloblastoma. My go-to for that was going to be cere cerebellar vermis, vomiting, headaches, and ataxia, kind of like cerebellar lesions, because it's often. Oh, that's a great one. Right. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Anything you want to add to that, Bobby? Is it not totally cerebellar? Is it like a mixed cerebellar picture? <laughs> no, that was right. Okay, you got it. I'll drink to that. I think Bobby, you need to drink three times for all the ones you got wrong. Do I really? Because that seemed like you were really focusing on minutiae about pediatric brain tumors, and I still got the majority of them right. But if you really want me to, I will. Let's continue on. This is for my turkeys and trotters, because it is now November. Okay, but I have a question for you. Um, you have a baby that you're examining in the newborn nursery, uh, less than 24 hours old, and you notice in their diaper that there's kind of these little, like, precipitated hard rock almost like salt looking things um it almost looks a little bloody but you're not exactly sure um should we be concerned about this finding cystic fibrosis <laughs> <laughs> i might have been she a little too you. vague <laughs> do you know what it is no Bobby? you were not you were not too vague that okay. was a uh, uric acid stone yeah so it can be referred to as like brick dust um, it can be misidentified as blood, but it's actually completely benign. Um, do you know why this happens, Bobby? Just assume like dehydration. Yeah, that may be a component of it. I don't know about, um, but I think that it's the babies have a high blood uric acid level at birth um, because of the amount that they actually get across the placenta, uh, but they quickly excrete it in the urine and the stool. So that's why we find it in the diaper. So I'm sorry, when you said there was something salty coming out, Sorry, I meant <laughs> that was a poor choice of words. I meant to like have you think about like a crystal, like a salt crystal, because it kind of looks like little acid mm. crystals. I, I apologize for my like poor constipated baby. Right, right. And salt. No, I was like, wow, I've never heard about this for the CF. That's interesting. It seems like Heather and I may be on the same page. Well, maybe you're a little bit busy at the bar taking a shot because you got that very wrong, Bo. Oh. That was a really long uh, euphemism to say absolutely nothing, Bobby. <laughs> well, regardless, I think it's your turn to, as some of the biz might call, take a shot. And not just of Sprite, but actually of the alcohol that you're supposed euphemism. to be drinking. I've been saying that word a lot, and I don't actually really know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Believe it. Believe it. Shout out to our Naruto fan club. So, in the past, I think it was episode one, asked you, what's the most common cause of mental retardation? And the answer was Down syndrome. I now ask you, what is the most common cause of inherited intellectual disability? <laughs> and actually, let me make it more difficult. What is the mechanism of the most common cause of inherited intellectual disability? Inherited intellectual disability. This sounds very familiar. So I think it's fragile X and... It is caused by a genetic defect in the X chromosome, but I don't remember what mutation it is. You got fragile X, right? Let's see if Bobby knows what the genetic mechanism is. 
is FMR7. But what's that doing to the to the genome? I don't know. It's causing a uh, hypermethylation, perhaps. You know, it might be. <laughs> so my my the answer I was looking for was it's actually a trinucleotide repeat expansion. It's similar to you know other things like Huntington's, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, isn't it a CTG repeat disorder? Yeah, and so what what else can be large uh, when you have someone with fragile X? Three things. Large ears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Large testes. Mm-hmm. And I guess a flat face. I don't know if that constitutes as large. I think their jaw is prominent. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a long face. Um, yeah, with like a prominent jaw, forehead. All right, Bobby said flat face, though, so he has to drink. <laughs> it seems like I knew a deeper cut than you, and then you had to fact check and type a bunch, but I will drink just to humor you. I will drink as well. But you know post-reduction, I'm cutting all that out. I know you are. You're going to make yourself look smart. Yeah. You're going to make me look like, dumb. But it doesn't matter. What's the most common intellectual disability bugs? me like, uh, uh, breast milk. <laughs> <laughs> it's cretinism. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, 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 I paste that into like Bobby, every one of Bobby's answers. <laughs> the person's like, is my podcast broken? Like, is Bobby answering cretinism in the same exact tone? <laughs> Does Bobby have intellectual disability? <laughs> Perhaps. Okay, Bo. Mm-hmm. So, a kid's got to use his arms to stand up from squatting. What do you think he has? It's Duchenne muscular dystrophy. That is correct. And the mutation is in the dystrophin gene. Very good. Nice. Okay. Very good. There's another permuta- There's another, basically, uh, mutation similar where what is it's the... not as severe. Yeah. Right. So what is the less severe version and what is the difference in the mutation between the two? I, I'd be guessing. Heather, do you know? I only know because it, it's like a general kind of like concept of genetics. So you'll know it as soon as you hear it, I think. Am I on the right track, Bobby? You are exactly. Very good. So um, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, the mutation causes a frame shift. Um, it's a frame shift mutation. And exactly. The, and the other one is not. What is, I can't remember the name of the other one, though. Yeah, Becker's. Becker's, that's right. Exactly. So, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, Duchenne, is due to the dystrophin protein, which is actually the largest protein in the human body. And uh, a frame shift mutation will cause a premature stop codon, which leads to a non-functional protein as compared to Becker's, which causes a non-frameshift mutation generally, which leads to a semi-functional protein, so it is a less severe form. Beautiful. That's very high yield. Yeah, that's a great question. And so, this just one thing to add, the specific term for the kid using their arms to stand up from a squatting position is the Gower sign. Right. How do you spell that? G-O-W-E-R. Right. And it's associated with an increased uh, CK and an aldolase on exam. Great. All right, Heather, I have a question for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. I have a patient with multiple itchy annular lesions that keep popping over her body, seemingly changing locations every 8 to 12 hours. This is due to what type of hypersensitivity reaction? Yeah. Is this urticaria? But what is the... Hypersensitivity uh, reaction type. Type four. 
It is urticaria. You're right. And you can tell that by the annual lesions that change location within 24 hours. But, Bobby, what type of hypersensitive reaction is it? That would be a type 1. Why? Due to a excess degranulation of histamine from mast cells. Well done. What's an example of type 4? Anyone? Type 4 is a T-cell mediated response, so that would be something like a nickel allergy. Yep. Or like how your tuberculin skin test works. Right. Type 2 is antibodies kind of to the cell surface, and type 3 is those complexes of antibodies and complement among other things. So, like Poison ivy class- is like 4, right? Yes, yes, poison ivy is a great example of 4. So type 1, you think about like anaphylaxis, urticaria, IgE, type 2. I think of good pastures as like the staple type 2. I don't know if you guys have another one on mine. I actually think of that too, Bo. I think it's always on the chart as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Bobby Drink for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not even a med student. I'm just, I'm getting a master's right now in public health. So I'm I'm just kind of hanging out, but I will drink to that. Which means you have time to read all this, right? Yeah, of course. Of course. (laughs) I've never seen anything in the eval, but read more. So it seems appropriate. Okay, so... Bobby, you have a five-day-old male here for a weight check. We kind of talked about weight in babies earlier. So weight's down 3% from birth weight. You notice that the baby has total body, body jaundice, no scleral ictris, no hepatosplenomegaly. The total billy is elevated. Direct billy is normal. Um, what are your next steps, and what do you think is going on? So we have a, you say, five-day-old? Yep. And you said total billy was normal? Um, elevated total belly, but the direct is normal. I would be worried about transient hyperbilirubinemia of the newborn. Yeah. So what would you, um, what are your next steps? So I would check an indirect billy level and then consider phototherapy depending on that. Yeah, that's perfect. So this is a pretty normal finding in the babies. Um, they call this officially like breast milk jaundice, um, which I think is a lot of times confused um, with breastfeeding failure jaundice, although I think that got a new name, um, which is caused by like insufficient breast milk consumption. But this is totally normal. Um, the baby just doesn't have a mature liver yet. Um, so mom doesn't need to stop breastfeeding. She should just keep doing what she's doing. And exactly like you said, um, if the levels are high enough, you can start phototherapy. Uh, what would you need to do if the levels are refractory even to phototherapy i would consider plasma exchange perfect yeah an exchange transfusion can be done for really severe cases of hyperbilly perfect wow well done bobby i'm glad that you got that right because i would not have gotten that <laughs> i literally googled kriegler najar syndrome <laughs> So I'm glad I did my Anki cards because I would not have gotten that right like two hours ago. (laughs) Yeah, I think on the exam, I got a lot of questions about like breastfeeding failure where they're not getting enough um, breast milk intake versus just like normal breast milk jaundice. But the key is really just in the history from the mom, like whether she's been having trouble feeding the baby or whether the baby's feeding fine. Right. The way that I remember it is like breast feeding jaundice tends to happen kind of early within like the first week or so and then breast milk jaundice tends to happen at like the two week point and it's 
less due to like not getting enough volume and more that like breast milk itself can cause issues with bilirubin yeah that's a that's a great way to remember it all right guys final review of our drinks heather would you drink your drink again if you had to give it a score out of 10 what would you give it i'd give it a nine and i would even make you and bobby one wow Ooh, time to go to boston <laughs> boston can your apartment house two other people uh yes i have a couch and a futon they're all yours wow bobby how about you how's your drink pretty solid i the molybdium has really grown on me so i would definitely have it again the what the- um the molybdium <laughs> uh disulfide uh but seriously wild turkey is pretty good I would give it like a eight out of ten, especially if you consider the price. Like it's it's one of the cheaper whiskeys, slash bourbons, and uh, it's pretty solid. How about you, Bo? Will you ever drink whiskey again? Uh, so I had the Fireball cinnamon whiskey. I thought it was pretty good. Would I drink it again? Of course. Uh, it reminds me of some good times back in college. Uh, my score, seven out of ten. Because I think out of all the whiskeys, it's it's probably the least whiskey-ish, right, Heather? It's like not. It's kind of just like a pseudo whiskey in the sense that it like yeah. tastes a little off, and probably don't drink this and like start like actually having mouthfeels that people that really know whiskey have. So overall, right, we we'll drink it again. Yeah, Fireball is a pretty uh, college drink. Yeah, it was always an exciting time when someone rolled in with some Fireball. All right, guys, that is it for today's episode. Thank you, Heather for joining us any parting words um no have fun with the kids on your rotation learn as much as you can um and thanks for having me by the way did you get the stickers that we sent you oh i did get the stickers thank you so much i've already um uh hung a few up (laughs) in various locations and i'm going to take some to the ed for my next shift on tuesday and hand them out to all the, the med students well, we appreciate that. And we have literally hundreds more stickers just waiting for you, the listeners. So just hop on over to our Instagram, send us a tough question or two, and we'll shoot you a sticker uh, free of charge. They're pretty cool. They say uh, buzzwords. I'll drink to that. Yes, they're, yeah, they're perfect. Fun little size. Yeah, I love them. Endorsed by Heather. Very nice. <laughs> All right, Bobby. Anything else on your end, Bobby? Hit us up. We are so lonely for human interaction. COVID-19 has really done a number on us. Please reach out. Yes. I concur. As always, you can reach out via Instagram, via TikTok. We have a website, buzzwordsmed.com. We've got multiple pages that help you ace the board exams with practice exams. We have an ace the interview section. Uh, We've got a couple things in the works. We're going to have even more content within the next couple days even. So uh, check us out. And as always, have a wonderful day and a great rest of your week. Bye-bye now. Later.